You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. How you guys feeling this morning? I hope you're alive and you're well. Amen. Yeah? Good, good, good. Hey, um, if you're new, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Marco. I am the lead pastor here. We're so honored and grateful that you would make Radiant a part of your weekend. If you're watching online, thank you so much. Leave us a comment. Share this video on your newsfeed and help us to get the word out so that we can reach more and more people. Guys, today is July 23rd. Whoa, like where is our summer going, right? Man, I hope you've had a chance to just soak in everything that is beautiful and lovely about summertime and that you've got some time to just uh, maybe take a vacation with your family, get some rest, some rejuvenation. I know that uh, we're trying to take advantage of that ourselves, my family and I. But today, listen, we are in part number 11 of a message series entitled Christ Culture Church. And what this is is a walkthrough. We're going through the letter of First. Corinthians, and we've spent the last three weeks unpacking the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, these are somewhat controversial, depending on what circle you've grown up in or you've been a part of, but last week we talked about the gift of love, right? That's chapter 13. I think most of us know those verses are usually recited at a wedding. You go to a wedding and you hear someone say, the preacher, the pastor say, verses from 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul talks about this, this idea that there's a more excellent way. There's a greater gift. The greater gift is love. And the more excellent way is to pursue these gifts that the Spirit gives us in and through and by love. In fact, Paul would say if, if you don't have love, you're not really that much of a spiritual person, to be honest with you. That's what actually Paul would say. Today, we're going to we're going to wrap up those or this section on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about two big ones, you guys, okay? We're going to talk about prophecy and the gift of tongues. So put your seatbelts on. It's going to be a wild ride. I uh, hope you come ready to learn. Listen, um, seriously, though, I think this will be encouraging for all of you. And I promise uh, I think you'll be able to take some things home with you to apply them to your life, to your heart, to that in the life of the church. If you have a Bible, let's go and dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to read the first five verses to you. If you don't have a Bible, we'll buy one for you, but we'll put the words on the screen as I read aloud. Here's what Paul writes. He says this, follow the way of love. We've already heard this, right? Paul's talked about pursuing love. He says, eagerly and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies or, or builds up literally the church. Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. 
unless, here's the caveat, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified or, again, built up, strengthened, encouraged. That's what that word means. We'll pause there. We're going to unpack this. If you're new with Radiant, I promise you it's going to be okay. Um, you came on a great Sunday morning. You're going to learn lots about the Word of God this morning. Let's go ahead and prepare our hearts. Let's pray before we dive in. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. It's alive. It's, it's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, God. Lord, it pierces into our hearts. It searches us. It knows us, Lord. Uh, God, we're asking that you would do that today through the power of your spirit, through the word of God today, Lord. Would you come and would you um, just soften maybe some of our hardened hearts? Lord, would you open uh, blind eyes, awaken faith in this room uh, today, God, and would you unlock uh, deaf ears? Lord, I just pray that you would draw men, women, children to you, God, that uh, men and women could know your son Jesus and be saved, God, and have lives transformed, Lord, turned around from this point on, God. Um, we just pray that Jesus, above everything else, is magnified and glorified through the preaching of your word today. And so, God, we just give you all the praise for the work that you're going to do in and through us. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen and amen. Well, listen, I've got a lot to cover today. Let me just quickly say this. Don't feel like you have to capture everything in your notes. I've got four or five pages of notes for you on our website, radiantbc.com. Um, just click on the homepage. You'll see the icon, Christ Culture Church. It's part number 11. So I'd rather have you pay more attention right here and now and just get the, get the notes later on or just grab them on your phone right now as I speak. All right. Well, let me just begin with a quick illustration and story. Uh, church, I'm learning that as a parent, that using the words maybe or might in my household may lead to my demise. You know, when we use these words maybe or might, and we learned this, especially this past week, we were on a family trip, a family vacation, and, and parents, I'm learning that... Uh, uh, we cannot even mention a potential activity or a potential gift. Maybe it's a, a birthday gift or a Christmas, you know, gift. Christmas is around the corner. Not right now, but, you know, in the future. We can't even mention said gift unless, listen, unless we are 100% committed and sure that we're going to participate in that activity or get that gift. Parents, you feel me right now, right? Here's what happens when we mention this activity or said gift. Our kids have a supernatural ability and a laser-like focus to focus in on that one thing that we mentioned. And they will remind us of it every five seconds, right? So if you say to your kids, hey, we might go to the splash pad today. Don't do it, right? You better commit because it's like, mom, what time are we going to the splash pad? Are we going after breakfast or before lunch? Mom, do you want me to wear the Bermuda shorts or the hot pink shorts? And wait, should I take my Crocs or my sandals? And wait a minute, Mom, can I go and should I ask a friend? And should I, wait, Mom. It's like, why did I even say something, right? Because when you mention it, listen, our kids have a strong desire. They eagerly desire that gift or that activity. Now, I want you to think about this because our kids have so much to teach us. 
when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul writes here in chapter 14. He says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to think about your, your kids that eagerly desire. In the same way, this is, think of it that way. In the same way that our kids desire that, that Nintendo Switch or that, that gift that you maybe have mentioned getting them for their birthday four months away, right? They have that desire. Paul says in the same way we should have this sort of healthy, you know, obsession with seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially that we might prophesy. And some of you are like, whoa, this is like my second time here. You're talking about prophecy. This is weird, okay? I'm going to explain all of this, I promise you. But I think Paul's point here in verse number one as we look at it is this. This is not an option. This is a commandment, actually. Paul's commanding the Corinthians, right? This is not a suggestion. Paul's not saying, hey, this is only for some Christians and not for other Christians to ask for. Paul's saying all of you, all y'all should pray. You should be eager for gifts of the Spirit, especially that you might prophesy. Now, I get it. Some of us, depending on your, your church background, we come from, you know, strange and weird experiences. But just because we think some of the gifts strange doesn't mean that God does, right? It doesn't mean that, that, that God does. And I know people get weird, okay? People get weird at times, but God's not weird, God's not weird. And so I want you, let me ask you a question this morning. Are you praying for the gifts of the Spirit? This is what Paul says in verse number one. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Are you praying for the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Especially that you might prophesy. Maybe some of you are like, I have never thought about that in my entire life. And today, listen, can I just challenge you? Can I challenge you to begin to pray and to ask God that he might, right, show up? evidence of the gifts of the Spirit in your life, especially prophecy. Marco, what's the big deal? The big deal is this. Number one, again, it's a commandment here. I mean, he's like, it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. Number two, remember we talked about this in chapter 12? Paul says that the gifts of the Spirit are for what? The common good of the church. Well, that means the, the building up. In simple terms, it means just the encouragement of God's people. So here's my point. My point is this, is that you should strongly desire to be a source of strengthening, encouragement, edification, and comfort to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You should desire that. You should desire that God would use you in a way that you would encourage other people of God, that you would be an encouragement to the people of God. And listen, you might say, I've never experienced a gift of the Spirit like prophecy or any gifts of this nature. Well, guess what? It might be your time. It might be your time. You're a perfect candidate, and God wants you to desire them for what? For the building of the church. For the building of the church. Maybe you feel this morning like, I'm not worthy. Like, I'm not worthy to have that gift. Well, guess what? It's not based on your feelings. It's based on your desire for that gift. Paul continues to write in verse number two. He says, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now listen, literally Paul is saying here, anyone who speaks in a language, 
Sometimes we say speaking in tongues and people just freak out, right? It's like, whoa, what is that? It's so weird. It's so awkward. Uh, that's crazy. You know, that gibberish stuff. I don't want anything to do with that. Literally, Paul's saying a language. The Greek word is glossa. It's where we get the word glossary, right? You know, you go to the back of a book and there's the glossary. It defines the terms. Well, it's the same kind of root comes from that glossa. And he's saying that those who speak in a language speak to God. Now, I want us to help understand these two gifts. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put up a graphic. We're going to put up a graphic in just a second of the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And we're going to put them side by side so we can begin to understand them and wrap our minds around these two gifts. Go ahead and put up that graphic. You can see prophecy on one side, tongues on the other. Let's go ahead and compare and contrast them. Prophecy. Paul says this. You speak to people, right? In tongues, it's not really to people, though. It's, it's to God. What is it called when you speak to God? Prayer, right? Prayer and also praise. Paul talks about this in 14. I sing in the spirit. If I sing with my spirit. Prophecy. Well, others can understand it, okay? I can understand a prophetic word. You can understand a prophetic word. Tongues, well, no one understands unless there's an interpreter. That's another gift. Prophecy, finally, builds up the church, encourages people, comforts people, strengthens people. Tongues, edifies the person speaking in tongues, not necessarily other people. I hope this kind of gives you a simple way to understand both of these gifts side by side. Now that we've done that, what I want to do is I want to spend some time on prophecy, then I'm going to spend some time on the gift of tongues, and then we'll finally wrap it up, and I'm going to show you and tell you how we can practically use these gifts in the church today. I've seen them used in a lot of bad ways, in a lot of manipulative ways, in a lot of ways that have hurt people. I want to teach you how we can use them to build people up today, strengthen people to be used in a way that I think is encouraging in the local church. Let's talk about prophecy. Let's define it. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. It is speaking forth, in human words, something God has spontaneously brought to mind. So the idea is divine revelation. It's a a piece of information that you're given for someone else, right? And then that piece of information that you tell them, you speak forth, and it has a way of encouraging them and strengthening uh, their faith in that moment. Well, who can prophesy? Well, the answer is simple. Anyone. However, listen, it doesn't mean everyone will prophesy, okay? It doesn't mean everyone will prophesy. But we should desire to, because remember, prophecy is what edifies the church. It builds up, strengthens the church. Now, some of you might think this is really strange and this is not the church experience I'm used to or I grew up with, and that's fine. But let me show you something that maybe you are more familiar with, and that's Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter is actually quoting the prophet Joel, and he's quoting a very particular verse here. And I want to show it to you because it's important when it comes to understanding prophecy and really the gifts of the Spirit. Let me show this to you. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. It says this, Peter speaking, quoting Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will what? Pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters, so men and women, will prophesy. 
Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, here's what I want you to notice about these verses. I want you to notice this. Notice that the characteristic feature of the present church age that we're living in right now, listen, is the relevatory activity of the Holy Spirit. It's the relevatory activity of the Holy Spirit. In other words, here's what this means. Right now, up until the second return of Christ, when he's, we believe he's coming back, right? But right now, up until that point, actually, to be official, I mean, really, ever since Jesus' resurrection and ascension up until his second coming, listen, we should actually expect that the Spirit of God will work and operate in and through the church in this way. We should actually have an expectation that God's going to move in the church, move in us in this way. That what? That men and women will prophesy. That young men are going to see visions. That old men will dream dreams. This is like, we should just come to expect this. God's going to move in this way. So what information does God disclose in prophecy? Okay, I, I kind of kind of wrapping my mind around this. It's a little bit strange. I, I've never really explored this. What is this information that you speak of? Well, if you look at verse 25, Paul says he describes prophecy as disclosing what? The secrets of the heart. The secrets of the heart. It's a piece of information that no one else would know unless, again, it was revealed to that person by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. You know, oftentimes, this is the way I've seen it in the local church. This is the way I've seen it at Radiant Oftentimes, I've seen a prophetic utterance being delivered to the body or to an individual as a way of God saying, I see you. It's a way of God saying, I see you. I want to use a story to illustrate that quickly. It's a story in the Bible. It's a story that's not often used, but it's a story that the Lord sort of really showed me earlier this week. I think it's a great story to kind of help us explain that, to help explain the gift of prophecy. It's the story of Hagar. It's Genesis chapter 16. Now, you can read it later on if you want. Some of you are familiar with this story. If you're not, listen, I'll summarize it quickly for you. We all are familiar with Abraham, right? Or Abram. Abram. Uh, and Sarai are supposed to have a son, but they don't have a son. I mean, they're old in their age. And so, listen, out of really sheer frustration and impatience, Sarai talks to Abram, and she tells him, hey, I want you to go and sleep with my Egyptian maidservant, my Egyptian slave, Hagar, and see if she will not conceive, and maybe you can have a son through her. Now, Abraham agrees, okay? Now, this has drama written all over it, just in case you didn't know that, right? And sometimes I'm wondering, what was Abram thinking? But then I'm like, oh, never mind. Abram's a dude. Never mind. He, he was like, you want me to sleep with another woman? Oh, yeah. Sure. Like, <laughs> when, Sarah, <laughs> when Sarah discovers that Hagar is pregnant... Sarai begins to despise her, like, no surprise, duh, hello, of course she's going to be ultra ticked, okay? She's, and so, essentially, here's what Sarai does. She runs Hagar out of the household, right? She's like, you got to get out of here. 
This is just not going to work. We cannot be under the same roof because you're carrying my husband's child, okay? So Hagar is off. She goes off into the desert to escape, of course, right? Here Hagar is. She is feeling what? She's feeling um, used, right? Like, like used baggage. She's feeling hated. She's feeling taken advantage of. And she's got all these questions like, God, what is going on in my life? Now, here's what happens. The Bible tells us that, this, that the angel of the Lord comes and visits Hagar. Now, the Hebrew term is um, Malach Yahweh. It literally means like uh, uh, angel of the Lord. And scholars tell us that the angel of the Lord is not actually an angel. It's actually it's God himself. It's the embodiment of who God is. Like, so God actually comes to Hagar. He visits her and he says, Hagar, where have, you, where have you been? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? And then he begins to what? To, to disclose information. He gives her information. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Ishmael. This is what's going to happen. You're going to do this and you're going to do that, right? And it's this God kind of sees me moment. It's basically like God saying to Hagar, Hagar, I know your pain. Hagar, I know, you're walk- I know what you're walking through. Hagar, I know what you've been praying for. I know you're frustrated. I know you've been used. I know you've got all kinds of questions. I know you feel like giving up, Hagar. But Hagar, don't give up. Why? Because I see you. I see you. I know, I know what you're walking through. I'm with you. I see you. This is so often what a prophetic utterance will do for someone. It's a I see you moment. Listen to what Hagar says in Genesis 16, 13, and 14. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who what? Who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. What a powerful moment Hagar has with the living God. Now, I know in this instance, it's God himself. In prophecy, it's a, it's a person that delivers the message. But listen, it has similar results. It's God saying, listen, I see you and I haven't forgotten about you. I see you and I haven't forgotten about you. And it leaves the recipient greatly encouraged. In fact, it often strengthens Strengthens that person's faith. That's what we want to see when we see a prophetic word being delivered. An I see you moment. God sees you moment. Church, let me just ask you a question. Or rather, let me just make a statement, actually. You know, we all have times in our lives where we feel like we're forgotten about. Anyone ever feel forgotten about from God? Anyone ever feel like you've been forsaken? Anyone feel like God is not really answering your prayers? Like you've been, you've been praying, you've been crying out to him. Anyone ever feel like you've been overlooked by God? I don't know if that's anyone here today, if that's anyone watching online this morning. And, and, and I don't have a prophetic word necessarily for you, but I, but I just want to remind you that we now see the God who sees us. 
So that's you this morning. Listen, I want you to just be encouraged. God sees you. God sees you in your moment, in your season of life. God sees what you're walking through. God sees, listen, the drama that maybe you're, you're trying to fix with, with family members fighting. God sees the dysfunction in some of your relationships at work. God sees, right, the questions that you have. God sees maybe the past pain and the letdowns and the, the deaths in the family and the cancer and the battles. Listen, God sees you. He sees you, he knows you, and he's walking with you. And I just pray, if you're here in person or if you're watching online, that you would just receive that encouragement today. Amen, church? Let's get back to 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm going to read 6 through 19. It's a big chunk of scripture. Just hang with me, okay? I promise we'll get to a point here. Paul writes, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues... What good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp? How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? Well, they won't, obviously, right? You would just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit. Try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit. There's praise. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen? To your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. No one can understand, right, if it's a tongue. I thank God, Paul says, that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, what's that mean? In the gathered assembly, okay? Come together. In the church, she says. I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. We'll stop there. This is like a massive text here. But let me just say this. Paul's big point is this, church. In the gathered assembly in the church, intelligibility is the goal because it edifies the church. Being understood, right, is the goal because it edifies the church. The edifying of oneself is not a bad thing, okay, it's just not the point of the gathering. That's what Paul's saying here. Building up the church is the point. Now listen, Paul's not against tongues. Not at all. In fact, he said it, right? I speak in tongues more than all of you. I wish that you would do the same. But he is stating that there should be an interpreter because if someone is going to address the church in tongues and there isn't an interpreter, guess what? It's, it's not doing a whole lot of edification. You're like... Blah, 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 you know, I, don't, I don't know what that means. I can't be edified, right? I mean, it's just logic. But I, I don't understand the message. 
Maybe someone here does, right? But if there's no interpretation, then we can't be edified. We can't be encouraged and built up, all right? Here's what we're going to do now. So we looked at prophecy a little bit. We're going to go to tongues now, okay? Here's the even more controversial gift. Let me define what tongues is. Speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in syllables, not understood by the speaker, okay? Prayer or praise spoken in syllables, not understood by the speaker. This definition, listen, indicates that speaking in tongues is primarily speech that is what? Directed towards God. Tongues is primarily speech directed towards God. Paul has already defined it. It's prayer and praise. You just, we just read it right in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That brings to mind a very, very common question. Okay. Okay, you just said, Paul just said that most likely speaking in tongues is this prayer language. It's directed towards God and nobody understands it. Correct. That's what Paul says. That's what I said. What about Acts chapter 2? What's going on there? Because I read something in Acts chapter 2, tongues of fire and everybody, there's all these languages being spoken of. Is that the same as what Paul is talking about here? Let me explain that for just a few moments. In Acts chapter 2, what's happening there? It's Pentecost. Okay? So the Spirit is being poured out, is being given to who? To both Jewish people and Gentiles. And if you read the text, Luke writes this. He says that Jews from every nation under heaven were gathered there. And what happens? They can hear their native languages being spoken. What does that mean? That means that God enabled the disciples by the power of the Spirit to speak languages, known languages, that they had never spoken before. So in Acts chapter 2, what's happening? They're speaking known languages. What do you mean by known languages? I mean like French, right? Mandarin, Spanish, right? Whatever, Portuguese. Those types of languages are being spoken in Acts chapter 2. Oh, okay, now I get that. But is that the same as what Paul's talking about here in chapter 14? Yes, but no. Hold on. I promise we're going somewhere. Yes, but no. Acts chapter 2, listen, is known languages, okay? That means they can be understood. But in 1 Corinthians, listen, Paul is referring to a language that's not understood by anyone except for God himself. And again, maybe an interpreter. Can you see the difference between the both of them? We should consider context. A lot of people don't talk about context when it comes to tongues and acts and in 1 Corinthians 14, okay? Here's the thing about Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is a unique time in redemption history. What does that mean? That's a lot of fancy theology, Pastor Marco. I don't understand that. I get it. Well, essentially, it's God, again, pouring his spirit out now permanently on both Jewish people and non-Jewish people. In other words, Jewish people and Gentiles. And for the Jews, this is a huge deal. In fact, the book of Acts, most of it is about this idea that Gentiles can be saved. And so what you see in the book of Acts is that these Gentiles are receiving the Spirit of God, and then they're speaking in tongues as evidence for what? Evidence to the Jewish people that God has also given his Spirit to non-Jewish people. And for them, they're like, what? We didn't think Gentiles could be saved because it's the outsiders are all of a sudden becoming insiders. So I want to just let you know that Acts 2 is a very unique 
The book of Acts as a whole is a, is a unique sort of time in redemption history. And that means this. Here's what this all means. That means that at times, okay, at times, the gift of tongues may actually be known languages. I, I don't doubt that. Maybe you show up on the mission field and you show up in a foreign country. All of a sudden, you start speaking in a language. You don't know what you're saying, but then someone else that you're going to minister to understands the message perfectly. And you discover that you're actually speaking in French, right? You're like, whoa. I didn't, like, I, did you ever take a, a French class? Like seventh grade, je m'appelle, something, something, right? Right? You've never spoken French, but all of a sudden, you're, that can happen, okay? That can happen. But most often, I think what Paul is saying, that most often what we see in the local church, because 1 Corinthians is a letter to the church, what most often we see is that tongues is what? It's prayer or praise directed to God. Yes, at times it can be directed towards people, but most of the time what we see in the local church, listen, is that it's directed to God, it's praise and prayer. That leads me to the next big question that we often hear. Will everyone speak in tongues? This is a big question. Okay, and I know, I know we've had some guest speakers here, and we're all, I mean, if I'm, if I'm honest, we're all slightly nuanced, and we're a little different when it comes to our beliefs on tongues and prophecy, and they're still my brothers in Christ, and I, th- I would see it maybe slightly different, uh, differently from then. Here's my answer. Will everyone speak in tongues? They can, but it doesn't necessarily mean they will. They can, but it doesn't necessarily mean they will. Why would I say that? Here's why I say this. Because in Acts chapter 12, verse 11, Paul says, you can look it up yourself, Paul says that the Spirit gives as he wills or as he determines. Our sovereign God gives as he determines, right? As he determines. But here's what I know about our Heavenly Father. He's a good Father, and he gives good gifts. He really gives good gifts. In fact, if you ask, Jesus said this, if you ask your Heavenly Father for bread, he won't give you a stone. So here's what I say. If you desire the gift of tongues, ask for it. It's very likely he'll give it to you. Why? Because he's kind like that. He's good like that. He's gracious like that. Here's what I think we need to avoid at all costs. And here's what happens oftentimes in the local church. I think we need to avoid a two-tiered Christianity. What is a two-tiered Christianity? A two-tiered Christianity is where we kind of make a hierarchy of Christians, right? So the Christians that speak in tongues are better than the Christians that don't speak in tongues, right? So we look up at the Christians that speak in tongues. We look down at the Christians that don't speak in tongues. And we look at them and we say, oh, you know what? You haven't, you, 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 you haven't done that yet. Oh, poor honey. Poor darling. Oh, too bad. Yeah, you're, you're just not there yet, are you? Yeah. Keep trying, though. Yeah, you'll get it someday, right? And when we, 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 we have this two-tiered Christians that the ones that those who speak in tongues, they're more spiritual. But the ones who don't, eh, not so spiritual. They're a little bit more carnal, if you ask me, right? And we cannot do this in the local church. I think we need to avoid that at all costs, okay, at all costs. Now, why would I say that? Here's why I say that. Because I I know a lot of Christians who've never spoken in tongues, and that's okay. They've never spoken in tongues. Listen, but here's what I see. The Spirit of God is moving in their lives in other ways miraculously and wonderfully, and we should also celebrate those things. Okay, we should also celebrate those things. And guess what? Those 
Christian friends of mine who maybe haven't spoken in tongues, they really love Jesus just like you and I do. They really love Jesus, and they really want to live for him. Listen, and they're not second best. They're not second best. And so I kind of push back on like the, the second, you know, that this two-tiered Christian faith that some of us kind of have developed. Oh, you haven't got that yet? Well, you got to get it. Well, you, yeah, I'm all for praying for it. I'm all for the power of God. I'm all for getting the gift. I'm all for receiving the gift because God's a good gift giver. I'm all for that. But I don't think we should do it to the point where we're like, hey, making other people feel bad or less accomplished or less of or more of, right? We should avoid at all costs this two-tiered Christian faith. Now, church, I just give you a lot of information. We're going to get ready to wrap up in another 10 more minutes or so. But here's what I want to do. We're going to shift gears. We're going to get practical. Super practical. Because a lot of Christians say, okay, I, I, prophecy, this gift, that gift, that's cool. I get that. I don't know. What the heck am I supposed to do with it, though? Right? <laughs> like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? Is this like even, like, can I even use this? How do I, how do, I do this at home? How do we do this in the church? Let's go there right now. Let's go there right now. All right? These are on the website as well, so make sure you check that out. Four things I want you to consider. Four things I want you to consider. Number one, acknowledge that you can do nothing to force God's hand. Can I get an amen? Okay. Here's what I mean. I mean this. Avoid speaking when God's not speaking. Avoid speaking when God's not speaking. Some prophetic people, God bless them, they always feel like they have to perform and they have to have a word. You don't, I, don't, I don't always need a word from you. You don't have to walk around just giving words, right? You, you can just be in the word, and that's okay, right? And so listen, I, I think we need to acknowledge that we can do nothing to force God's hand. If he's not speaking, don't speak, right? Don't, don't, don't make up. Don't, uh, I'm, hold on, I'm searching for the word. It's in the air. Hey, if he's not saying anything, just it's okay. It's okay. Like, we love you. It's all good. Number two, monitor your own heart's motivation, okay? Be certain, listen, that your longing to prophesy comes from your love for others and not for the notoriety or attention that such a gift might bring to you. Monitor your own heart motivation. Is this for you so you can be put on a platform, or is this because you actually love God's people? All right, number three. Look for ways to learn from others who are already operating in revelatory gifts. What's revelatory gifts? It means this. Revelatory gifts mean the word of knowledge, um, gift of wisdom, right, prophecy. These types are revelatory gifts. So if you know someone who's already operating in this gift, listen, get around them, ask questions, right? Uh, just hear their stories, how God has moved in their life. Number four, always practice these gifts with humility. Just, this has got to, this is like, that should be number one, really. Always practice these gifts with humility, okay? Always practice the gifts with humility. Too many so-called prophetic people have just had blown up egos, and they become sort of the point of the whole entire ministry, right? Hey, you got to get pastor so-and-so here. He's going to have a word. Okay, that's awesome, but I want to know the word as well, okay? Two things I think you need to avoid. Number one, Avoid sharing negative or critical words. The purpose of prophecy is to build up others, not to tear them down. Okay? Sometimes my brothers and sisters, like, bring a rebuke, and they, they air out someone's dirty laundry, and they say it's prophecy. That's not prophecy. You can call someone out on their sin one-on-one, -on -one, 
And Paul says that we should do this in Galatians, right? But don't go on prophecy, right? Hey, I saw you leaving Coonan's last night at 2.30 in the morning. You stumbled out. That's my prophetic word. No, that's not prophecy, okay? <laughs> All right. You had one too many, right? Oberon's, okay? I know what you were doing last night. Okay. Yeah, that's, that, that's just my sin. It's not a prophetic word, okay? Number two, don't assume that every random thought that passes through your brain is from God. <laughs> don't assume, okay, that every random thought that passes through your brain is from God, okay? You, you, you've got you've to have a way to, to, to ask the Lord, is this from you, to, to, to ask other people for confirmation, ask trusted Christians, okay? You don't have to assume. And, and by the way, for the, my super spiritual people in the audience or watching online, you don't need a word from God to order from rallies, okay? Just, just, get, just get the big Buford, all right? Just... Extra cheese and fries. It's like you don't need a word from God. You can just, just order the maximum amount of Taco Bell. Just do your thing, all right? <laughs> Let's talk about facilitating a prophetic word. We're almost done here. <clears throat> Number one, we believe it's best to share and practice prophecy in a small group of people. It's best to share and practice prophecy in a small group of people, Okay. Why? Because the New Testament gatherings were way smaller than this. First service, there was like, it was packed out today, all right? That's way too big. The gifts of the Spirit, they need to be practiced in small groups. So guess what? I'm not going to open up the mic for you to give a prophetic word. Why? Because I don't know your gift, and you're speaking to the whole flock, and I don't trust you. Why not, Pastor Marco? Because if I haven't seen that gift in practice over months and months and months and months, and I know your character, then I'm not going to give you a mic to prophesy over everyone. Make sense? I wouldn't do that. Why? Because I love the sheep. And I don't want the sheep to be fleeced, okay? And so I think we, need to, we just need to keep this in mind that we practice these in a small group of people. Um, sometimes in our staff meetings on Tuesdays at church, um, it's like seven or eight of us, and I'll tell the staff, hey, because like prayer and pray, um, prayer and worship and prayer, sorry, sorry, is a big part of what we do, just the staff together. Like we spend an hour together just praying uh, and worshiping, and we believe that's actually like the most effective thing we do actually is pray, okay? Sometimes though, as we get ready to wrap up, I'll say, hey, let's just make room for the Spirit. If you feel like you have a prophetic utterance, hey, go ahead and deliver that, Okay. Go ahead and give that, and we'll just kind of wait on the Lord. And if, if no one speaks, that's okay. We're not mad at God. If someone speaks, well, we have a chance to what? To weigh those words. And if it's, a, if it's something that doesn't hit right or maybe it's, it's, a, it's, not a, it's a false word, we, we can actually say, hey, you know what? That, that, that didn't come out right or that wasn't the best way to do it. We need a safe space to practice the gifts of the Spirit. Some people, they just kind of blow in, and I'm the prophet, and I got this word. And it's like, well, we don't even know your character. Remember what I said last week? Sometimes in the church, uh, we emphasize gifting over character. It needs to be the other way around. We need to emphasize character over gifting. Make sense? Okay. Number two, avoid saying things like, thus saith the Lord, or God specifically told me to tell you that you should. Don't say that. Why? Because they're not helpful. Here's why. You want to avoid anything that reeks of coercion and manipulation. 
God told me, brother, you need to give me that Rolex right now. That brand new Equinox you got sitting in your driveway, but bless the Lord, is mine. He says, the Lord says, give it unto me, I shall receive that. Wait, 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 wait. I, didn't, I didn't hear anything from God on that. Right? Okay. So don't say, thus saith the Lord, or God told me. Single people, don't tell other single people, hey, God told me we're going to get married. <laughs> now, don't. here's how you start. Here's how you start. Hi, my name is. You want to get a latte sometime? Or like, don't start with God told me that we're going to get married. Start with, hey, my name is Joe. What's your name? Start there. I don't know. Just crazy suggestion from your pastor. I don't know. Just start there. Furthermore, in the Old Testament, if prophets got it wrong, what happened to them? They were killed. So when you claim to speak for God, that's a big deal. So don't say, thus saith the Lord. The Lord told me to tell you this is exactly. Here's how I think we should do it, okay? Number three, it's better to, it's better to introduce prophetic utterances this way. I have a strong impression that I believe is from the Lord. That's better. That's so much better. I have a picture in my mind that I want to share with some of you here. I have a sense from the Holy Spirit that God wants to do this in your life. You see how, you see how it's, just, it's, it's more nuanced. I had a dream that involved several of you, and I would like to share it with you. Just a couple weeks ago, I, had a, I shared a dream with our staff. I felt like it was a dream from the Lord. I was like a little bit hesitant because I wasn't, you know, I just, I wasn't sure. And I said, I, I'm going to share this dream. And it, it really, like, it touched our staff. And several of, of them were crying. They were in tears. And it, it strengthened their faith. It encouraged them, right? But it was a safe space, right? I, I didn't say, hey, thus saith the Lord. It was like, hey, I want to share something that I think might be from God. And you guys can judge it. You guys can tell me it's not or, or, or otherwise. It's okay. I, I'm going to be humble in delivering that word, okay? Number four. Using phrases, these phrases, excuse me, helps to put people's minds at ease. People should not be made to feel guilty if they respond with less than immediate and wholehearted affirmation, okay? You don't want the recipient of the word to feel guilty or feel intimidated, okay? And let me just say this. If you're a recipient of the word, you don't have to always receive it right away. You can take it, and you, you, you're not supposed to. You should take it to the Lord, and you pray about it. You, you go to the Lord, God, is this, is this for me, or did this not hit right, or maybe this is for someone else, right? And it might, it might not be for you in that moment, but it could be for you in a different season of life. So, so just take it to the Lord and pray about it, okay? And then number five, it's okay to ask people, does this resonate with you? Does this resonate with you? So, it's okay. so if you're given a word, be humble and just say, hey, does this resonate with you? Is this, is this accurate? And if they say, no, I don't, it sounds weird, strange, and, hey, hey, it's okay, okay, maybe it's for a different season, or maybe it's not now, or maybe I was wrong. The, listen, the revelation from God is perfect. He is perfect, right? But the messenger, we, we are imperfect. Sometimes we get it wrong, you guys. Sometimes we get it wrong, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, we just have to practice, again, humility. These are my practical steps for you when using these gifts in the local church. I, I pray that these help you to think about how to, to deliver prophecy, to receive prophecy. I hope this has been clarifying. Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap our time up together. I was thinking, like, how do, we, how do I wrap up a message of this nature, you know what I mean? And uh, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, um, 
just lean into the goodness of the Father. So what I want to do right now, just for a few moments, we've got about three minutes left. We're going to lean into the goodness of the Father. And I just want to remind you today, church, that he's good. And he's good. And then when God looks at you, he's not ready to strike you down with a hammer. God looks at you through the lens of mercy in light of his son, Jesus Christ. He's a good father. It doesn't mean that he winks at sin. I'm not, talking, not at all. Not at all. What it does mean is that he desires to be known by you. He desires that you know him as a good father. And Jesus makes a way for us to know that. Jesus, when speaking, says this, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So church, this morning as we, as we close, I just want us to lean into that. And he's a good Father. He's merciful. He's kind. And maybe you're here and you're like, I, you know what, I... I've never experienced gifts of the Spirit. It's a little strange to me, but maybe I want to open my heart to those right now in the future. That would be amazing. I want to encourage you, man. He's, he's not going to give you a snake. In the Scripture, snake is often symbolic of the demonic. He's not going to give you the demonic, okay? He's not going to give you something evil. He's going to give you bread. He's going to give you what's useful, what's good for you. So if you're here this morning and you're like, ah, this is all new to me, I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to begin to ask God, God, would you, if you got good gifts for me, I want them. God, I want them. He's a good father. Maybe you didn't have a good father growing up, and I'm sorry for that. But he's a good father. He loves you. He's kind. He's merciful. And you may not feel worthy. But again, this is not based on your feelings. It's based on the character of who God is, of what we read about in Scripture. Let's pray together, church. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. We thank you for these verses, Lord. And God, we just, um, I know this was probably a shocker to some of my friends here this morning. But if you got good gifts, Lord, we want them. We want them. So we open up our hearts, God. We open up our minds even. Lord, we just say, Holy Spirit, we, we desire the manifestations of the Spirit in our lives, God. God, we want to desire the gift of prophecy so we can build up the church, Lord. God, would you just remind us today of who you are, of your character, that you're good, that you're kind, that you're loving, that you're patient with us. It doesn't mean you wink at sin, not at all. But God, you're patient with those, even those who do evil. And we can't comprehend it, but God, you, you, you know far greater than we do, Lord. We receive that love today, Lord, that we might be known by our Father in heaven, Lord. So Come, Spirit of God, and do what only you can do. Come and heal broken hearts. Come and heal wounds this morning, God. Come and just minister to your people, God. And we just receive every good gift that you have, God. We want to build up the church, Lord. Not because we want a position or a title. 
but because we want to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ to come, Holy Spirit. Do a new work in us. Fall afresh on us this morning, God. We honor you. We love you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Hey, can we just clap for Jesus this morning and give our praise to him?